Now, as we discover tonight, hopefully, we'll, we'll, we'll discover that problems of truth cannot be divergent. If there is truth, now there's nuances, but if there's truth, there's only one. And if we're dealing with questions of God, these kind of questions or these kind of problems, as we will discover, are convergent. You cannot have multiple coexisting understandings of truth when it comes to the question of God and, and when it comes to uh, some of these religious questions. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit tonight. Um, I'd like to read a passage that will s- kind of situate what we're going to be doing tonight. And it's when um, Jesus says in John 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us a father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Or else believe in the account of the works themselves. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. Guide our conversation, we pray, on this very important topic. And may what we do tonight, again, be an act of worship. We invite you to be in our conversations. Um, grant us clarity of thought. And guide, our, guide all that we do tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question, one of the questions we're going to look at tonight is... Um, Don't all religions lead to God? Now, if you ask people in Canada, especially here on the West Coast, are there many ways to God or, or do all religions point to God? Many would say yes. And they would give different answers. What kind of answers, what kind of explanations would they give as to why there would be many ways to God? Can you think of any? Well, one person might say, you know, if you're driving to Kelowna, how can you get to Kelowna? Well, you can take the Coca-Cola or you can take the number three. Right? They both get to Kelowna, right? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Always be careful with maps. Um, there's, so there's, there's different, you're going to the same place. But there's different roads, and all these roads will get you to the same place. And so it is with God. 
right? There's many ways. So that, that would be maybe one argument that would be put forward. Yeah. Very good, yeah. If God is so good, he would, he would speak to people in, in regardless of their culture and race. And, that, and, and, and that's what we see in the world. We see a, a plurality of religions, plurality of beliefs, but they all are kind of pursuing the same transcendent, right? Sure. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, and if we're all seeking, yeah, God's not going to play hide and seek. And within different contexts, God will reveal himself in a particular way. Sure. That's kind of narrow-minded and very ethnocentric of you to say that there's only one way when there, you know, we, you know, we should give room to other people to have their views and, and not try to exclude them. And, and so part of it is we live in a culture of relativism that um, there's personal truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. We each have our own truths. And I'm not going to impose my truth on you, nor should you impose your truth on me. And, and we live and all get along in a pluralistic society. Right? Now, this is what we're going to explore tonight. Because what we're saying tonight, from a Christian perspective, just what I read to you, my goodness, in our culture today, to say, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to me except, or no one comes to the Father except through, through me. Wow. I mean, those are pretty heavy words to say in our culture today. They were heavy to say all throughout history, but especially so now. Because one of the problems we have in our culture is we have different, we have a, a changing understanding of truth. And before we start talking about religion and truth, I just wanted to talk a little bit about truth. In general. And in particular, just kind of hit on a couple myths about truth. And these are things maybe you've heard along the way. One, thinking that you know the truth is arrogant and intolerant. So, if somebody says to you, I figure that any road to God is the right road. And you say, you know, actually I think the Bible and about Jesus is really teaches us what the, the, the true way is. Well, how would people respond to you? You bigot. You intolerant Christian. How can you be so arrogant and intolerant towards other points of views? Right? Who made you God? But is it intolerant for you to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, if you said to somebody, you know, touching uncooked chicken... And not washing your hands will make you sick. Is that arrogant and intolerant? No, it's just, just the way it is, right? Simply true. Or if, if someone asks you, okay, how do you get to Coquitlam Center? And you'd say, oh, you go along Austin and go past Lougheed Mall. Would that be true? No, unless you can go all the way around the world and get there. No, yeah. I mean, is that intolerant to steer them the wrong way? <laughs> or to steer them the right way? But some people might say, okay, you're talking about chickens and Coquitlam Center, David. I mean, what we're talking about here, man, is faith. Is faith. But okay, so I'm talking about important things. But does that make me arrogant or intolerant? Especially if I offer support for my position? And is it not maybe a little bit intolerant of another person 
to shut me down without at least offering some support or evidence for their position? I mean, these are things to think about. To have convictions about truth does not make you arrogant. I mean, your attitude can make you arrogant. Arrogance comes when you shut people down who do not believe the same things you do. And humility does not mean you have no conviction about things, but rather you have convictions about things, but you present them with gentleness and respect. Okay? So it's not arrogant and intolerant. Here's another one I often hear. <laughs> See, this is a Facebook one. Um, you know, the important thing isn't truth, man. It's about the journey. I mean, how many Tom, Tom Hanks movies kind of point this way? You know, it's not about where you get to. It's that, well, actually, not Tom Hanks. How many car commercials have this? Um, as, all right. Okay, without looking at your notes, j just for fun, if somebody said to you, man, it's not so much about finding the truth, it's about the journey, how would you respond? Without looking at your notes, how, how would you respond? Sorry? You're not living without knowing the truth. So you can be on a journey, but are you really, yeah, how are you living, right? Yeah, yeah, good. Where's the journey heading to? And they'd be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's on the journey where you discover yourself and truth, man. They always have to say man and, and speak. No. <laughs> but here's the thing. In order for you to make the case, now you have to say that some of the stuff that I'm going to be doing tonight is kind of like some logical things, but it's just exposing kind of some of the weaknesses in, in these things that we hear all the time. For you to say, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. That's what truth is all about. Implies that you know something about truth and the destination to make you say that the destination's not worth going to. You actually have to have a big picture of what the destination is like to know that it's not worth heading to the destination, but just to be on the, on the trip. Which is kind of an arrogant position to be in, right? Because you actually have to have insight, no, inside knowledge on the end of the journey for you to say the end of the journey is not really worth getting to. It's, it's the journey. Do you know what I mean? The other one is this. Faith, man, gets in the way of the search for truth. We just, you know, haven't we left the dark ages behind why bring faith into the equation? We can find truth through good, solid reasoning. We don't need faith. In fact, I just saw on, on, I saw on YouTube today, um, it was just an advertisement saying, you can know proof of God's existence through science. And so that's fine. I, I would push back a little bit on that, but... The assumption, the implicit assumption is that faith, faith is somehow doesn't count and you need scientific evidence to point to God. And that's a step up from faith. Yet is that really the case? All reasoning, all reasoning requires a certain degree of faith, doesn't it? Like if I said to you, okay, if you go to the highest 
building in Qingdao Sheng, in Qingdao province, and you jump off that building, will you fly or will you hit the ground? Well, have you been to Qingdao? No? You haven't been there. Well, how about milk? Is there actually, actually milk in the Milky Way? <laughs> like the actual Milky Way? Well, no. But has any of us been there? What's that? We live there. <laughs> we live there. Now, and you, now, your reasoning could be, you know what? The laws of physics don't change simply because you go to China, David. Come on. But even then, it is rooted to a certain degree on faith. And we're going to talk about this next week when we look at science. But the assumption for so much science is that when I study this chair, I bring to the, I bring, <laughs> I bring to the equation that this chair actually exists. It's not a figment of my imagination. I bring to the equation that when I look at this chair, the chair God inside of it won't suddenly erupt and walk away on me. That there's no spirit inside this chair, but this chair is in existence, is separate from me, is knowable. No, those are all reasonable things, but they're all you, all, you always have to begin with a certain degree of faith. This chair exists. Okay, that's my, that's my assumption. And so faith in itself is not incongruent with truth. And we're going to hit this next week. Um, there's a difference in faith. There's blind faith, but then there's reasonable faith. And when we look at science, we'll, we'll unpack this a bit more. Some people will say, and I hear this often, there is no truth. Okay, right away, what's the problem with that? You guys are, it's a truth statement. You are just saying something that you said doesn't exist. So, I mean, and I always respond whenever everybody, there is no truth. I say, is that true? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a little bit of truth out there, right? <laughs> Maybe truth exists, but we can never find it. Well, how do you know that? It, it implies that you've actually exhausted all possibilities. Um, it, it, it actually assumes that... Uh, that you have this knowledge of all of reality in order to make this statement, but this all of reality truth is the very thing you say we cannot find. So it doesn't make sense. How do you know we can never find it? It implies that you know the truth that it cannot be found, which is actually the thing you're saying we cannot find. It doesn't make sense. But these are things we hear all the time, aren't they? I hear them. The other one is this. Okay, I'll give you small truths, but not the big truths. I like Jay Budachevsky. He says, big elephants aren't harder to find than mice. <laughs> big lies aren't harder to find than fibs. So why should big truths be harder to find than small ones? And in fact, if you say, all right, we can know little truths, but we cannot know big truths. What's the problem with that? That statement that there is no big truth is a big truth statement, isn't it? But you said they don't exist. You guys with me? Okay. 
<laughs> There's some fun ones in this one. I like this one. <laughs> Truth is whatever you sincerely believe, which I hear often. So if you sincerely believe you're an Oreo cookie, um, does that make you one? Or to be less cheeky. Um, I mean, there were people who seriously believed when they got onto the airplanes in 9-11 that they were going to land. Right? Truth is whatever you can get people to accept, whatever you can get them to believe, that's truth. And I hear people say this. And people say, you know, people don't believe in that nonsense about God anymore. We've kind of moved beyond that. But hang on, hang on. So what are you saying is that truth is dependent on a certain mass of population believing or not believing in something. That's what makes something true? Well, because there are a lot of people in Germany, there are a lot of Nazis in World War II that believe certain things about the humanity of Jews. Are we going to go down that road? So simply because a lot of people accept it does not necessarily make it true. Truth is whatever works. Well, what does that mean? But, I mean, something may be work, but it could, it, it could still be wrong. But that's a culture we live in. If something works, then it's true. But <laughs> there's lots of things that work that are unethical. But is that, is, does that make it true? Is a pretty pragmatic answer. A um, couple things. It's just one of the challenges we have in our cultures is to even think about truth when we are so busy we don't have time for truth. And I think this is something that's important for us as Christians. Well, you guys are here tonight. You could be elsewhere. And so you're carving out time to reflect on important things. The problem is, is in our culture... The people you encounter who make these grand statements about truth have not really thought very much about it beyond maybe what they've heard on the Grammy Awards, right? Or something in pop culture. Because this stuff, you know, truth, man, you have your truth, I have my truth. If you actually push it a little bit, they don't know where to go with it. And you have to realize that a lot of the assumptions that people have about truth, it doesn't take a whole lot of prodding before it pops, but you and I, we cannot be intimidated by this. We need to recognize that a lot of these grand statements about truth that people are making simply has have no foundation, right? Any questions before we shift to truth and faith in Christianity in particular? Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Okay, well, here's the big thing that we hear people say. All major religions, or some people say not even all major, they'll say all religions <laughs> basically teach the same thing and they're all the same. And I hear people say that, but that's not what they mean. Nobody means that. So the moment somebody says to you, every religion is saying the same thing, you just say, really? We're the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas? You know, or, you know, what was it, what's that Jones? Uh, yeah, Jimmy Jones. I mean, were they teaching the same things that other religions are teaching? And they're like, well, no, no. Well, how about Wicca? You know, witchcraft. And, and No, 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 no. And so what they mean is that all major religions are essentially teaching the same thing. 
And so they'll be referring to Islam, Christianity, maybe Judaism, maybe Buddhism. But again, are they all saying the same thing? You cannot say Christianity and Buddhism and they all believe in the same thing when, when Buddhism doesn't believe in God. Buddhism is inherently atheistic. It does not believe in God, like in a personal God. So how can that be saying the same thing as Christianity? Because we, we looked at this before. Every worldview is trying to answer these four questions. Every worldview, including every religion. What is real? What is the highest good? What is the problem? What's the solution? How a Buddhist would answer that is very different than what Richard Dawkins would say. And it's very different than what a Christian would say. It's very different than what a Muslim would, would say. Okay? So right away we can just really push back and say, no, not every religion believes the same thing. Now, it was interesting. There was a, uh, a time where Tim Keller and there was a, uh, a rabbi and a, a Muslim cleric, they were together in a panel. Tim Keller, if you know who he is, he's a well-known Christian pastor, writer. Uh, he's a pastor in New York and Manhattan. And so they were at a university and they made up a panel. And the question was... Um, do you know are, are there many ways to God and uh, it was quite interesting Tim Keller said this he said that if Christians were right about Jesus being God then Muslims and rabbis fall fail in a significant way to love God properly and if Christians were wrong about Jesus being God then Christians fail significantly in loving God as he truly is the bottom line they were saying among themselves to all the students is that they all can't be right. Well, the students didn't know what to do with that. Because they're saying, you know what, hey, if the, the Muslim cleric, hey, if Jesus is God, then we're not honoring God in, in the way that gives him honor. And the students are like, yeah, yeah, but you can't say that. Tim Keller and the Muslim and the, and, the, uh, and the rabbi, they're all saying, yeah, they're exclusive. Because each religion has different answers to these questions, including secularism. I think I've shared this with you before. Maybe I haven't, but this is, this is very important. And I should have had a whiteboard because uh, I like to scribble on, but it doesn't matter. Some people say this. They'll say, you know what, all religions point to God, okay? And so, you know, you Muslims and Christians, you're always fighting each other, but don't you realize the one you are worshiping is the same? And so you need to know that God is actually over all your religions, and each one of your religions is pointing to God. And when you hear that, sometimes you think, wow, man, how do I respond to that? But you have to be very careful. When a person says that, it sounds so nice, doesn't it? Oh, you Christians, you don't realize. 
you're actually worshiping the same God as these other religions. Don't you realize that? And, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. But you have to realize, and, and what I'll, I'll usually say when somebody says that to me is this. I have too much respect for Muslims to believe what you're saying. Because if what you're saying about God is true, then what I believe about Christianity is wrong, what Muslims believe is wrong, what Jews believe is wrong, what Buddhists believe is wrong. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm saying you're all right. I said, no, hang on. If you're saying all roads lead to God, Christianity says Jesus leads to God. So the two can't be right. So don't pretend you're being all-inclusive. This idea that you're all these religions lead to God is not an inclusive view. It's an exclusive view. Do you know why? Because if all roads lead to God, then Christianity is excluded. Because that's not what Christianity believes. If all roads lead to God, that means Islam's excluded because that's not what Islam believes. And so don't you stand over me like you're encapsulating all these religions. You stand next to me because what you're putting forward is an exclusive truth claim. Now let's hash it out and see if it makes sense. You follow me on that one? This is absolutely crucial to get because when we hear that, it's, it's intimidating. It sounds like, well, yeah, I guess maybe. Well, we're all saying the same thing, maybe. And, they, and they're kind of standing over you, right? You know, oh, yeah, good Muslim and good Christian. Don't you realize it? And you're like, oh. It's like, no, 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 no. What you're saying, if it's true, means Christianity is wrong. It means Islam is wrong. It means Judaism is wrong. So it's an exclusive view. It's not an inclusive view. It sounds inclusive, but it's not. It's exclusive. And it stands alongside every other religion. And now you can hash it out and say, which makes sense. Does that make sense? Are you, are you clear on that one? <laughs> that one's very clear. Especially here in, in Vancouver, we get that one quite often. And it sounds like it's inclusive, but it's exclusive. Because for all roads to lead to God... It means Christianity, which says only Jesus leads to God, is wrong. So it excludes it. It doesn't stand over it. It stands next to it. Okay, good. That's important. And sometimes people will say this. Um, yeah, you've probably seen this one. Do you know what? Each religion sees only a part of spiritual truth. Nobody can see the whole truth. And what is usually laid out is the parable of the blind men and the elephant. Anybody ever heard this one? It's always been used. And, and, and this parable, which goes like this. There's these blind men. They can't see, obviously, because they're blind. And they come across this creature. It's an elephant. And they, one feels his trunk. And they're all trying to de describe the indescribable God. They're trying to describe God and say, God is like a... Well, they're trying to describe this creature. So this thing is like a rope or this thing is like a spear and they're touching different parts of the elephant trying to describe what it is. But the way the parable is used is saying that nobody can see the whole truth. All we can see is partial truth. And in the same way, no religion can see the whole truth. We're all blind men grappling in the dark trying to describe the indescribable. 
And that's okay. But we need to recognize that nobody can see the full truth. What's the problem with that argument? I, my, kids are taught this in school all the time. My kids are taught this. Have you guys ever heard that when you were in school? The blind man and the elephant? What's the problem with this, uh, with this illustration? As a way of saying nobody can truly see what, it, what they ought to see. Arthur? Okay. How does that show itself in this illustration? Because what are they touching? An elephant. How do we know it's an elephant? Because we can see, and you poor religious people can't see. Well, hey, how come you got such a clear view? One, you know that there is this big truth. It's an elephant, (laughs) right? How come you are in a position to see so clearly Yet us poor religious people cannot see so clearly. So the, re- the, 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 um, the parable falls apart. It's actually told from a position of arrogance. I can see the truth clearly that you poor religious people can only partly see. Well, how come you can see so clearly something that you say nobody can truly see? All right? Now, so <laughs> is this all good? Tonight's probably the most philosophical we're going to get. Next week we hit science, and science will just be fun. Um, this is fun, but if it's, sometimes it's a little mind-bendy. Um, some people say, well, look, of course you're a Christian. You grew up in Canada. If you grew up in Morocco, would you be a Christian? Your belief in God is culturally conditioned. You grow up in one place, you believe this. You grow up in another place, you believe that. So how could you be so arrogant to say yours is truth? It's just a product of where you live. Okay, without looking at your notes, turn to your neighbor. How would you respond to that? Okay, just take a moment, talk to your neighbor. And if you don't know, just say, I don't know. (laughs) Don't look at your nose, don't cheat. Okay, so how would you respond? I kind of have the answer up again. I'm good at giving away answers. Alvin Plantiga's quote. Yeah? Give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, aren't there people from, I mean, especially in a pluralistic, multicultural society as Canada, I mean... There's people that, from all different backgrounds. In fact, I've said, said this many times, I mean, the only hope for Christian Canada is immigration because the people who are coming to Canada are the ones who are more likely to be Christian than the ones who are still here, right? 
That's true. Um, what else? There is a problem with logic again. And, and I'll, I'll say this. As Christians, we really need to get good at turning questions. At, at, at seeing the assumptions and turning the questions. We're not good at this. We need to get better at this. Because the moment somebody says that, oh, you're just a Christian because you grew up in Canada and, and of course that's what you believe. I'll say, okay, well, your understanding of pluralism, that, you know, that one's belief is culturally conditioned according to where they grew up, that belief, how is that not culturally conditioned? If you lived in another place, would you still believe that one's belief, one's religion is determined by one's culture? You see what I mean? Because their very assumption, their very argument, how is that not a product of our culture? So your, your understanding of pluralism, that there's many, many, um, or, or that one's belief is simply a reflection of where you grew up, is that very idea that one's idea is a product of where they grew up, is that very idea not also culturally conditioned? You with me? So if you grew up in Morocco, you wouldn't say that one's faith is culturally conditioned. So you just turn the question on, on themselves. Do you follow that one? So yeah, that one's a little, little tricky. That's why you have notes. You can look at it later on. Um, the other one people will say, it's arrogant to insist your religion is right and to convert other people to it. But again, this assumes certain things about God, who he is, what God is like. And it also assumes that these things about God are unknowable. But why? If somebody says, it's arrogant for you to convert somebody to your religion, the assumption, what's the assumption? Is that your religion cannot be true. But that's a faith claim. Right. How do you know that's true? How do you know that, that, re, that, that my understanding of God is unknowable? Why? W what if it is knowable? And what if it's true? Is it still arrogant? No, of course not. So you have to always kind of try to unpack what, what the assumptions are that people are making. So those are just a couple things about truth. And I hope I didn't bend your minds too much tonight. Um, look, look through your notes. At the end of our night, um, I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to try to respond. One of you can be an antagonist and one of you can respond um, and, and, and try, try that out tonight. As Christians, as Christians, we do not believe that all religions lead to God. Far from it, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Now, why? Why? Well, it comes down to Jesus. You and I are not deists. We're not theists, but we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And so we believe that there's something unique about Jesus, about what he says about himself and what he does. Famous line by C.S. Lewis, famous quote in your books. Again, it's obligatory to quote C.S. Lewis once. Um, 
A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus did would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either Jesus was and is the Son of God or else he was insane or evil. Let us not come up with some patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what are some of the things Jesus said about himself? Well, one, he says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you have to unpack that. Like, that's a pretty big statement. Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life. You eat from me and you live. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who die, even though they die, if they believe in me, they shall live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is my kingdom that is coming. Jesus doesn't say, follow this philosophy. He says, follow, follow me. Jesus says, receive me. If you receive me, you receive God. Welcome me. You welcome me. You welcome God. To see me is to see God. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now we can go on and on and on. Jesus says some things that are absolutely ridiculous if they're not true. And in try as we might, we cannot bend Jesus into being a good teacher alongside Buddha. He does not give us that option. Now, the, what I've always said is you can, you can reject this. Yes, you can reject it. But you cannot be apathetic towards it. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, well, that's huge, right? It's, it's a game changer. And not only does Jesus say some things, but he's unique. Not only what he says about himself, no, no other major religious figure in history would say the things Jesus said. That's not what Muhammad would say. That's not what Buddha would say. What Jesus says is absolutely unique in history. But there's more than that. It's not just what, because a lot of people can say a lot of things. But it's also what Jesus does that makes him unique. Jesus is, uh, is on a boat, on a fishing boat. And he's asleep. You know the story. Storm breaks out. And, and, and everybody on the boat, except for Jesus, who's asleep, is scared. Why are they afraid? This is a storm, one of the sudden squalls, and if the boat sinks, they're dead. And they panic. And they, they do the only thing they can do. They can't, they can't get hold of the boat, so they, they, they call on Jesus, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, and they wake him up. They're scared of dying. This Jesus stands up. And says to the elements, peace. Actually, a better translation is he actually says to the ocean, shut up. And we sanctify, you know, we make it in peace, be still. But it's actually, shut up. 
Now, in the Bible, the sea represents chaos. Represents everything disorderly in this universe. That's why in the book of Revelation, you say there's no sea, right? It's interesting because the Israelites, they hate the ocean. <laughs> they hate this. And so, but Jesus stretches, he says, peace, be still, shut up. And the sea is calm. He speaks over creation. And all of a sudden, these fishermen who are so scared of the, of, of the ocean, so scared, or no, no, the ocean, but they're so scared of the sea, so scared of dying, are suddenly more scared of the person who's in their midst than they were of dying. Because they thought, they thought they had a prophet on their boat. Right? A great teacher. But now you have one who has power over all creation. Well, there's only one who has power over all creation. And that's God. This Jesus is so much more than what we thought he was. And we can go on. The things that Jesus does. Where else do you see in the Bible? Oh, I mean, we can go on, but I mean, let me give you one more. Where, where else do you see in the Bible a mountain and, 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 and law being taught? The, the way of life is taught. You read that in the book of Exodus. And here you have Jesus on, on a mountain, on a sermon, on giving a sermon on a mountain, laying down the way of life, the way of freedom. And that's why, that's why you have in the Bible, you have good monotheistic Jews. These are not pagans. Pagans are like, another god, throw him on the barbie. We got lots of room, right? So that was supposed to be an Australian accent. Throw another god on the barbie, mate. No. Um, a good monotheistic Jew lives under Deuteronomy 6.4, right? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. These are good monotheistic one God, one God Jews who are now looking at this Jesus. And if you're Thomas, you're like, my Lord and my God. You're Paul saying, this Jesus, though being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself, but emptied himself. Yet John saying, in the beginning was a word. What does he say? And the word was God. Yeah. We take that. Oh, yeah, okay, so Jesus. For a good monotheistic Jew, this is a mind bender. And yet, even though God is one, they see Jesus and they're like, where are we to go? You have the words of eternal, uh, eternal life. Right? We believe and have come to know you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? My Lord and my God. And I think one of the biggest... Oh, I mean, and, and then the, the resurrection. I mean, Jesus dies. I mean, if he doesn't, if he's not raised to new life, it'd be like, well, okay, he said a lot of interesting things, but he died. 
But his resurrection is the vindication of everything he says. Right? It's a vindication of everything he says. It says basically everything I said, everything I did, you can take it to the bank. And, for, and Christians for 2,000 years have argued that the person and the work of Jesus Christ, unique compared to any other religion. And I, I think as, as Christians, um, you and I, when, when we share our faith, this is what our faith needs to look like. Here, Derwin, I'll use you as an example. You can come up here for a sec. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I know you're all relaxed and everything. Yeah. I mean, this is often how, how we used to do, how evangelism used to be done. So what you need to do is you need to realize that Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. And you're like, I don't believe it. And we're going back and forth. For you and I to share our faith in Coquitlam today, this is, this is how it needs to look. It's look who Jesus is. Will you look at him? There's no one more beautiful. There's no one more powerful. There's no one more unique. And only in him will our lives work. And I think that needs to be our posture. Rather than this, it's sort of like, hey, <laughs> you look at him. Now, if you don't want to look at him, that's fine. That's your call. But I'm telling you, this is who he is. And you only live when you turn your face towards him. Right? I think that's the way we need to share faith. I have in your notes, uh, Jesus is uh, unique in his qualification. Jesus is unique in his uh, achievements. It's interesting. None of the other great religions even claim to have a savior. Really. But as Jesus is the one who brings us salvation, saves us from our guilt, from our sin, from the power and consequence of our sins. Jesus is unique in his resurrection. Now this is where I just want to just say, say this one thing. Buddha was not resurrected. Muhammad was not resurrected. You and I can know and relate to the risen Jesus Christ today because he's been raised to new life. Now, you have to get this too because sometimes you'll hear, oh, you have to realize in the first century there's a lot of resurrection stories going around and the Christians just kind of borrowed some existing resurrection stories. It's not really the case. And just for fun, because we need a little bit of fun, I want to lay this out to you in a video. Let's see if the video works. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, thanks to all of you for coming out to our service this morning, and I pray that the rest of this Christmas Day is wonderful for each and every one of you. Not so fast, preacher man. 
Behold, it is I, Horus, Egyptian god of the sun. And while you all believe that you've been celebrating the birth of your Lord Jesus, you've really been celebrating the birth of me. For you see, thousands of years before your Jesus came around, I, Horus, was born on December 25th. I, Horus, was born of a virgin. I, Horus, was baptized by a man called Arnop the Baptizer, was crucified and was resurrected three days later. So you see, your Jesus is nothing more than plagiarized poppycock, and I, Horus, have come to feast upon the sorrow of you foolish Christians. Yeah, none of the stuff you just said is true. Yes, it is. No, there's no reference in Egyptian mythology to Horus being crucified or resurrected three days later. There's no documentation anywhere for the existence of a figure named Anup the Baptizer. Horus' mother was not a virgin woman, but the goddess Isis. And there is no specific date anywhere tied to the birth of Horus. I'm pretty sure there is. Actually, no. All of these claims and many others indicating that early Christians yoinked the mythology of Horus and stuck it on top of Jesus were all completely made up by Gerald Massey, a 19th century cuckoo banana bird self-taught Egyptologist who never provided the slightest shred of evidence for any of these claims and who was laughed out of the room by every serious Egyptologist on the planet. So thank you very much for your attempt to ruin our celebration of Christ's birth, but I'm afraid we're all still having a very Merry Christmas. Miss Horus. Horus? Did I say my name was Horus? No, no, no. What I meant to say was, Behold, it is I, Mithras, Roman cultic god of the something-something, and while you all believe that you've been celebrating the birth of Jesus, you've really been celebrating the birth of me. For you see, I, Mithras, was born of a virgin. I, Mithras, had twelve disciples. And I, Mithras, gave those disciples a meal consisting of my body and my blood. Sound familiar, Christian dummies? Actually, Mithras was born from a rock, not of a virgin. He had two companions, not twelve disciples. And the Mithraic meal was one he shared with the sun god, where they feasted not on his own flesh, but on the flesh of a bull. But even if those claims were true, Christians were already confessing the virgin birth, recognizing the twelve apostles, and celebrating the Lord's Supper before they ever encountered any Mithraic cults. So I'm afraid that you've taken neither the holly nor the jolly out of our Christmas, Mithras. Oh, you must have misheard me. I I'm not Mithras. I'm, uh, Quetzalcoatl, Aztec god of the wind. And Valuol thinks that you've been... No Christian on the face of the planet ever heard of Quetzalcoatl until the 16th century. Well, then I'm... Baldur, Norse god of the... There were 193 popes before Baldur's mythology was actually written down. Then I'm Horus, Egyptian god of the sun. You already did that one. All right, fine. I didn't want to completely humiliate you, but you've left me no choice. I shall now unveil myself to be the ancient deity whose mythology was inarguably stolen by early Christians. Behold, I... Um, the ancient Mesopotamian god of judgment, 6,000 years before your Jesus spoke of returning to condemn the lost and resurrect the faithful, my followers proclaimed that I would return to destroy my enemies and raise the dead. So silence your joyful voices, Christians. Your lord is nothing but a cheap carbon copy of me, the destructor who goes by many names. I am Volguis in Troja. Gozer the Gozerian is from Ghostbusters. Dang it, why do so many people still know that movie? Sing we join us all together. Ba -la 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 -la. 
Oh, one more. Things that Gerald Massey said about me were complete fabrications, with no textual evidence whatsoever. Why do atheists like Bill Maher reference these claims as if they were true? Well, Horace, I suppose it is strange that people who insist that they won't believe anything without verifiable evidence are more than willing to believe anything without verifiable evidence, as long as that thing can be used to mock the gospel. But we shouldn't be surprised when people reject proof of Christ's resurrection in favor of demonstrable lies that let them remain in unbelief. After all, Jesus did say, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I said that before Jesus did. Oh, you absolutely did not. There we go. <laughs> See, the reality is, when we talk about Jesus' resurrection, there's no other view of resurrection around in the first century. When the Bible talks about first uh, resurrection, it is completely unique. The only other place you're going to come across with what the Bible means as resurrection is within Judaism. But that understanding of resurrection uh, was understood differently. They understood that everybody was going to be resurrected at the end of time, at the end of days. But the resurrection that you encounter with Jesus is, is completely unique. And stands out. And I think that's something as Christians we, we need to really hold on to. Now, but when we say these things, like we're saying tonight, that Jesus is the only way to God, how does that make you feel? Like, if, it, like, like what's your initial gut feeling when, when I say that? Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Why? Not yeah. Yeah, and just to say it in our culture today, you, you almost want to you know, I kind of think Jesus is the only way-ish, um, right? Because it's, yeah, it speaks against our culture. How about anyone else? Yeah, it is very scary. And, and you know what? it's going to get more and more difficult in our culture today. And, and you probably feel it in the last five years. Five years. We're not, I'm not saying in the last 20 years. In the last five years, especially here on the West Coast, to talk openly about Jesus is getting increasingly difficult. And this is the time where we really need to, to know our stuff. We really need to know God's where We really need to know why and what we believe. But just by saying this, it does raise some important questions. And these are some questions I want to hit at just as we conclude tonight. Um, oh, we just did that one. Um, okay, so what does this say about other religions? Because Jesus is the way to God, does that mean that every other religion is misguided, wrongheaded, and harmful? Well, no. No. Because we, we know... Um, from Romans 1 in particular, that God in creation, in the very fabric of creation, reveals himself. That, that he reveals his existence so that no one is without excuse. And, um, you know, when I, when I was an atheist um, and I climbed Taishan Mountain one time, 
I was, you know, overwhelmed when I saw this sunrise. And I had a sense there had to be something more, right? When you watch a baby being born, you got to say, there's got to be something more going on here. And there's also a sense of conscience, right? You know, if, in, in any culture, like if you get on a bus and an old lady's about to sit down and you push her down the steps and take her seat, <laughs> right? It's like, what? That just seems wrong, right? And I'll tell you, that was, that was kind of a key turning point for me to draw me to Christ. But we shouldn't be surprised. If God is a God of all creation, we shouldn't be surprised that in some other religions, sometimes you even hear echoes of teachings from Jesus. And so you get variations of um, the golden rule in teachings in Confucius and in some in, in, in Buddhism. Um, thirdly, God sets eternity on our hearts. We have a sense that, that this is not all there is. Right? And so we shouldn't be surprised that we see elements of this in other religions. Missiologist, a guy named uh, Leslie Newbigin, writes this. He says, an element, he was a missionary in India for over 30 years. He says, an element of continuity which is confirmed in the experience of many who have, come, have become converts to Christianity from other religions. Even though this conversion involves a radical discontinuity, Yet there is often a strong conviction afterwards that it was the living and true God who was dealing with them in their days of pre-Christian wrestlings, right? And I've seen this, especially here in, in Coquitlam, the number of Muslims who come to faith, especially um, Iranians, that there's a lot of preparation that goes ahead of time where God is, is, is calling them, calling them, and it usually culminates in what? If, if you're, do, you, do you know how... So many, yeah, dreams. Jesus appears to, to um, so many Iranians in dreams. Like it is amazing how many times, to the point that for some Iranian Christians, when they talk to new converts, they say, did you have the dream? Did you have that dream? So there, there should be some continuities. And I like what C.S. Lewis says. Again, Lewis, uh, sorry, I overquote him, but this is gold. If you're a Christian, you do not have to believe that all other religions are simply wrong all through. If you're an atheist, though, you, you do have to believe that the main point in all religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you're a Christian, you're free to think that all these religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there's only one right answer to a sum, and all other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer to being right than others. Isn't that helpful? Like, there's only one right answer, but, you know, some are closer than others. I think that's helpful. Um, I'm trying to think what else we have here. Let's talk for a moment, and this is one of the questions that we often hear. What about those who have never heard about Jesus? You notice this picture I put up? 
I often be like, what about those who've never heard? And they put up a picture of Africa. I'm like, yeah, no, I think there's more people in Africa who've heard about Jesus than, than in Vancouver. But there's more Anglicans in Uganda than there are in Europe and North America combined. Right? 360 million Christians in Africa. It's the greatest, okay, I'll just quick. The growth of Christianity in Africa in the 20th century is the greatest social phenomenon in the history of humanity. Not the greatest religious. That you went from 10 million Christians to 360 million in the 20th century, that makes that the greatest transformation that humanity has ever seen. And you want to know why there's so much issues with Boko Haram and all you know, the fighting that's going on in, in, in Africa is at the turn of the 20th century, it was thought, if you're Muslim, that it was only a matter of time before Africa became Muslim because you, you were kind of on the front foot. You had more of a population. And the fact that Christianity took off in Africa has cre- created a lot of resentment. Um, but also to say, what about those who've never heard about Jesus is more likely to be in Vancouver than in anywhere else. So how would you answer that question? And I'm sure people are like, oh, yeah, well, what about, you know, people have never heard of Jesus and they die. What, what, what happens to them? They never had a chance to hear. It hardly seems fair. You know, why would, they, why would they go to hell or why would they be eternally separated from God when they've never even heard? Take a moment, just say to your neighbor, how would you respond to that? (laughs) How would you respond? Okay, so how would you respond? Let me hear from you. Al, what would you say? Okay, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, God is not um, God is not a system. He's personal. And uh, we need to know that. Sometimes it's, well, if you said the prayer like this, then you're in. If you don't say the prayer this way, then he can't accept you. Well, no, he's personal. He's not, he's not a vending machine, right? 
So, yeah, and, and Scripture tells us that, um, that, that God will judge justly, right? He's just. He's good. So we know that, okay? What else would you say? So if somebody came up to you and said, oh, what about those who never heard? Yeah? Yeah. Oh, sorry. How do you know that they've never heard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Derwin and I were just talking about that. Well, how do you know if they didn't have that, a, a dream? God speaks through nature, yeah. But it's, but if they've never heard of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's general revelation, but it, that's not salvific. That's not, that doesn't save us, right? <laughs> there we go. I, this, is, this is where it gets controversial. And, and there's different positions on this. Um, one thing I would say if, if somebody said to me, what about those who've never heard? The first thing I would do is recognize that often this is a smoke screen. That people say, because if I'm sharing the gospel, and, and invariably they'll ask the question, well, what about those who've never heard? And I'll just say, Look, for you to ask this question, it has to be hypothetical because you've heard. <laughs> it has to be hypothetical. Like, what about those who've never heard means you've heard. And so, while that may be a very good question, we can talk about that. You've heard. How are you going to respond? Okay, so that's the first thing because that's often used as a, as a, a, a little bit of a smokescreen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think there's even a third dimension. I think a lot of people in Vancouver especially think they've heard. They think they know the gospel. When I was an atheist, if you asked me, do I know what the gospel is? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I had no, I had, honestly, I had no clue. I had something about Jesus dying and, raise, and, and being raised to new life on Easter Monday. Because I did the math. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's three days. So that's why we have Monday. It must be. I had no idea. It's nothing to do with chocolate. Um, and, and, and you probably have that. If, if you run Alpha, it used to be Alpha would be your beginning stages. Alpha is now catechism. It's actually, it assumes too much. I think a lot of people have heard of Jesus, but they have no idea who he is. So I, I think one of our, our responses, though, is, is when somebody asks that question, what about those who've never heard, is to say, well, have you heard? And do you really, have you really heard? And let me explain what the gospel is. So that, that's one. And to be able to detect whether or not it's a smokescreen. Secondly, we know that people are saved 
from their sins and they are reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now there's lots of different theological positions in terms of, you know, you know, how much knowledge is, is required for a person to be saved. And, you know, thankfully, we don't have to make that call. <laughs> we don't make that call and be very, 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 very reluctant to ever pronounce judgment on anyone. When Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged, he's not talking about, don't tell me that that's wrong. That's not what he's saying. It's just, you, we cannot close the book on anybody and say, you're... We don't know. We don't know what's going through a person's heart. We don't know what God has done. I mean, if God can speak to people through dreams, he can speak to people in all sorts of different ways. And so we have to have an open hand on that one. But I think we tell people about Jesus not to get them into heaven. Right? The purpose of the Christian life isn't to somehow get into heaven. The purpose of the Christian life is to be fully alive as a human being. And eternal life begins now, not just when you die. And so we point people to Jesus Christ because apart from Jesus Christ, our lives will not work. We point to pe people to Jesus Christ because the glory of Jesus is at stake. And... And that, our, yeah, our lives only work, our, our societies are only transformed through God's people, through uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, through the church, in Coquitlam. And so that's why we tell other people about Jesus. And those who have never heard, again, most people have heard, but have they really heard? Or have they heard a distorted view? And I think our call is to be clear in, in terms of what the gospel says and, and not to let a person off the hook in the smoke screen. Just say, okay, that's, what about those never heard? That's a good hypothetical question. We could talk about free will and predestination as well if you want. Um, but let's talk about you. How are you going to respond to what Jesus has on offer for you? Does that help? <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're really concerned that if God, if they're going to believe that it's God, that their God is going to send their relatives to hell. Like, they're, that's like genuine, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it's going to be difficult because, yeah. Well, I would say one, if Jesus is who he is, then we need to respond. And so, regardless of the consequences, for your relatives or your predecessors. If this is true, then it's true and you need to respond. Don't you not respond and say no because of what may or may not happen to other people, right? I mean, that's harsh, but you can say that. The other thing is, is the God we worship is a God who is good, who's loving, and who's just, and every human being lives, breathes because of God. Right? We live because of Jesus. It is, it is through Jesus that we live. We breathe as human beings. And so every human being owes his or her life to Jesus and needs to return to the author of their life. 
if a person's never heard of Jesus, then we really have to entrust them to the one who is good, who is loving, and who is just. What, what else can we do? But what you don't want to say is, okay, because you're unsure about your forefathers or your, or your, your sister or, or, or your cousin, because you're not sure about them, you are going to turn away from truth. Because here's the thing. If you turn away from truth, your life will disintegrate. Your life will, will, will fall apart. It will not be the life that you were supposed to have. So that's what we come back to. Is, is, it comes back to what I was saying with Duran. We're pointing to Jesus because if Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way, and life only works insofar as we're connected to him, anything apart from that is a weight of death. And yes, there's people that say no, and we can plead with them to say yes, and our hearts can break when they say no. But oh, please don't let that be an excuse for you not to turn to him. Now that's still hard. I know, I, I've, I have siblings that haven't turned to Jesus yet. My parents have, but my siblings haven't. And so, I mean, so you grieve and you pray and you, and you long for that day. Um, and those who have gone ahead of it, they're in God's hands. And all we can do is entrust them to the one who judges justly. That's all we got. But if Jesus is who he is, every human being owes her life or his life to him. And we have to return to him. Does that make sense? Al, are you going to say? Yeah, though I think if some people know that God exists, they could still say no. Because the Israelites saw him every night, right? It's a choice you make. And that's what I always say when I'm sharing the gospel. It's like, this is who Jesus is. You can reject him. Or you can bow your knee before him now. You eventually will. But you just can't be apathetic. You cannot ignore him. Please do not ignore him. Because if he is who he says he is, it makes all the difference in everything. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could be you all sorts of reasons. I think in my experience, it's always been a smokescreen. It's a way of uh, people trying to avoid the conversation that we're having. Okay, some final thoughts. Uh, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Um, does anybody know what that is? It's one of the earliest forms of graffiti. I think it's from the mid-2nd century. It's a Roman graffiti, and in it, it says, Alexamenos worships his God. 
And it's a picture of um, people ridiculing Christianity. Yeah, a donkey's head on a cross. And it's interesting. There's a lot of people that uh, when they think about Christianity, they don't want to have anything to do with it or they'll be uh, quick to, to ridicule it. And one of the things we need to realize is that following Jesus may never be that popular in our culture. And there's revivals. But I remember Eugene Peterson once saying, he says, you know what? True Christianity has never really been super popular. Um, it's, you're going to open yourself up to ridicule. I think today we're going to get, we, we are getting something very similar to that. But there's a very interesting picture. Even though this is graffiti, it's meant to mock, it shows you something right from the early days. It's just that Christians were transformed by the crucified Jesus. And part of the Christian life is to live crucified lives, is to die to self. And also, and Jesus says this, it's hard teaching. He says, it may mean you know, broken relationships with family. It may come to that. Where if you're going to go one way and they, they're like, we're, well, we don't have anything to do with you. But it is, a, it is a crucified life. But it's a transformative life. What we say is that the crucified Jesus is king of the universe. You guys know who that is? Anybody know? Yeah, Sir Edmund Hillary. What was he known for? Yeah, climbing Mount Everest. And there's a story when uh, Sir Edmund Hillary climbed to the peak of Mount Everest. Do you know what he, what he put up there? He put a cross. And he buried a cross. And he said, what, what a picture. In, in the highest place in all the world, a picture of utter humiliation. And humility. He says it's a picture of the cross and the crucified life that stands at the highest place in, in the entire world. And it's an interesting story afterwards. I heard this story uh, told um, when Edmund Hillary once was at, uh, I think it was one of the bases of uh, um, Mount Everest. There was a, a, a crew going up there and they saw Sir Edmund Hillary and they're like, oh, Sir Edmund, come and have a picture with us. And so he comes over, and uh, there's, you know, three young people, and they're all, like, around Sir Edmund Hillary, and they're like, oh, we have a, one of those little picks, right, that they use for climbing. Here, here, hold this. That'll look even better, right? And so they're standing there, and somebody's walking by and didn't know who Sir Edmund Hillary was and saw him standing there, and he says, and the person came up to Sir Edmund Hillary and said, oh, excuse me, you're holding that wrong. It should actually be held this way to Sir Edmund Hillary, yeah. And Sir Edmund Hillary goes, oh, Thank you very much. Right, Carry on. Just completely humble. And I think that's, that's a picture. That, I mean, we can talk about Jesus and who he is and is he the only way and all these questions. But really, if you and I are not transformed by the crucified Christ, then we are. We can come across as arrogant, right? And, and kind of in your face. And so our posture needs to be that of humilitas, of humility. Because we worship a risen king 
but a crucified king who invites us into relationship with him, who gives us life, but also gives us a ministry of reconciliation and peace towards those who do not know him and would even want to persecute us as Christians or people who, who, who are not too keen about uh, Christianity. So our, our way forward, is, it has to be that of love, not of winning an argument or debate. It has to be the crucified way. So I wanted to say that because a lot of this has been apologetics, but the ultimate apologetic is to live a crucified life. Any, uh, any questions? Any observations, thoughts from tonight? Is it true that Christianity is the only religion that has a price to be paid if you don't believe? A price to be paid if you don't believe? Like if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll be going to hell. Do other religions have that sort of bar? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any uh, exclusivistic uh, religion would have different views about using different words, whether it be hell or whether it be separation or darkness or um yeah 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 reincarnation how you'd come back you know as a slug or a rock or something um oh no but but it is you know operating by the um by the the law of samsara of reincarnation how you live your life affects how you're going to come back right so there are now operate by the you know um the, the way of karma right out in hell yeah yeah so i mean we, 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 one of the things we haven't talked tonight is is about uh is about hell i mean that that'd be an entire different conversation but how we talk about hell how we talk about eternal life what the bible says and what it doesn't say i think would be an important conversation but that would be like week five or week six right <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good point. I'd say in, in, in different religions, there's different... There, none of them are, are, are very positive, right? Um, but the way I often... I mean, the way when I speak about hell, if I were to speak about hell, rather than fixating on duration, how hot it will be or how cold it will be or whatever, what I focus on is, is, is that... When you are separate, when you are separated from the author of life, there's only death. If you are separated from the one who says, I am the light of this world, then there's only darkness. And what hell describes is always going to be figurative in the sense of it's, it's pointing to something that's real, but it's using figurative language. Um, it's when you're outside relationship with God, and you've, you've shaken your fist to God, there's a point where God says, you know what? Thy will be done, right? If, if you really don't want to have anything to do with me, I am life. Um, 
And if you don't want to be close to life and to light, then you have eternal darkness and loneliness. And I don't know, like, when people, what's it like? I don't know, but it's not good. But I love in, in, in C.S. Lewis's uh, the, the Great Divorce, he talks about, have you ever read that? It's a novel. It's interesting. It's like the magic school bus, but they go down to, uh, they go down to the shadow land of people who had died. <laughs> what well, is kind of like they're on school bus. <laughs> With the frizz? <laughs> Sorry, you'll never read it the same way. <laughs> but there's people, the, the, way, the premise of the book is there's people who have a chance to go visit their loved ones who rejected Jesus and say, look, I've experienced life. Come. And Lewis's point is that even people who have rejected Jesus in this life would continue to reject him for various reasons. It's, an, it's a really interesting story, yeah. But yeah, there's lots of hard teaching in the Christian faith. I would always sell Christianity as like, it's so awesome, Jesus is so awesome, why wouldn't you want that? But then the flip side of that is if, if we're if we're right, the price of not believing is pretty terrible. So that seems to be like a good reason to believe us anyway, <laughs> right? If, if you don't believe all this good stuff, this really bad thing could happen to you if you don't believe. And so do other religions have that sort of, you know, well, if you don't believe in us, it's really going to happen to you. I don't know. Just, yeah. It seems like a double whammy. Yeah. This is, this is the truth, guys. Yeah, and... and and see, this is where it gets difficult because what we are arguing, we're not, we're not saying um, that in order to reach God, we have to go through Jesus. What we're saying is that there's nothing we would do in ourselves to want to reach God and that even if we wanted to reach God, we couldn't reach him. But the God of the universe reaches down to us. And so the question is, are you going to respond to what he's doing? If, if, if our very, so Christianity is not a better choice among all the religions. Christianity is about being human. It's about life. And, and, and as a human being, our lives only work connected to the author of life. And that's the way we need to describe it. It's not, it's not the best of, 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 of a few religions because any other way is, is simply, it's just not true. It's only Christianity that corresponds to ultimate reality. Now, to say that in our culture is so politically incorrect. Yet, if you unpack it a little bit, that, that's what is revealed in Scripture and that's what's revealed in history. And all we can do is be, be good witnesses in response. And recognizing at the end of the day how a person responds and what the consequences are, those are all in God's hands. And, and sometimes Christians, were a little too quick to, to say where a person's going to end up and what's going to happen. Hey, don't, don't. But I just say, hey, life is found here. If you reject that, then you're choosing non-life. What that looks like is not going to be good. But it, it, you're in God's hands.
Okay, well, next week we are going to be tackling science and faith, friends or foes, right? You know, or do I, do I have to choose science and faith? Do I need to choose one and reject the other one? That's going to be a lot of fun, and that'll be our last session uh, with you until I come back again to do something, uh, I hope. <laughs> but wh why don't we pray as we uh, conclude? And if you want to have fun, if, if, if uh, you have some friends or whatever, I have at the end of your notes, practice, 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 and you can take turns um, answering some of those questions. God of all grace, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, we live, we breathe, we have our being because of you. You have rescued us while we were sinners, while we were far away from you. You rescued us. We love because you first loved us. And our only response is that of gratitude and consecrating our life to walk with you, knowing that that's a full life. It's a demanding life. There's a cost to discipleship. But it's, it's, it's a light burden because you carry so much of the weight. So we thank you for, for forgiveness. We thank you for life. We lift up our loved ones to you, those we know, family members, friends who do not know you. And we say, Lord, have mercy. Open up eyes. And as much as it depends upon us, may we be willing to be conduits of your truth and grace. Give us words to say, actions to live, in which people can see and know of Jesus. May we live crucified lives, lives that point people to the crucified and resurrected Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you next week.